Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. This week on Inside Supercars, we take a look at pathways to the top echelons of motorsport. We're joined by Michael Smith from CAMS, Brad and Kim Jones, and driver-manager David Siegel. I hope you can stay with us. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Michael Smith is the general manager for motorsport from the Confederation of Australian Motorsport, and interesting to get the overarching governing body's opinion on the pathways in motorsport, Michael. And interesting, do you feel like there is a cradle to grave opportunity for competitors, and I guess in your case, volunteers, officials, and and the like? Uh, yeah, thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. Look. That's really part of our responsibility as a as a governing body. I mean, we're we're overseeing a sport that is professional at, at some levels, but also is, uh, is is a hobby for many people. So we've really got a responsibility to create a sporting framework, and and in the context of motor racing, a, a motor racing framework that accommodates the needs within that. Um, we need to create a very clear pathway for our aspiring professional drivers, but we also need to create a, a category framework uh, for those that just want to have fun. And the same goes for our officials. You know, uh, the cradle to grave is, is very important. And we look at the Australian Grand Prix, for example, which is an event that uh, CAMS has been organising for well, since the... Adelaide Grand Prix, and many of the senior officials that have managed that event have done every event. Now, that's terrific, and, and it's a great strength, but it's also a weakness for us, and trying to encourage new officials into the sport is a great challenge for us. People are much more time poor than they were perhaps 10 or 15 years ago. So we need to create a system and a framework that encourages young people into our sport, but at the same time, we're not uh, spitting out the old people or the older people out of the system, so uh, it's a delicate balance for for us at some times. But uh, so far, we seem to be doing it pretty well. Kim and Brad Jones have enjoyed a racing career at many levels in Australian motorsport. Brad talks about the pathways available from his perspective. Well, I think that um, there's there's always opportunity. You know, starting a Formula Ford, which is where Kim and I started. You know. Now you've got Toyota 86 and you go to the DVS 
when you get into a V8 supercar. I mean, you know, it's always been a bit dependent on being able to find enough money to get the job, and I don't think that's changed. But I think you certainly can find a pathway depending on um, what sort of support you get. David Siegel is one of the leading driver managers in the supercars paddock, and he provides his view. Well, Craig, I guess that depends a bit on who you are. So, you know, so, yeah, an obvious example is Craig Lowndes. Yes, there's a cradle to grave in that, you know, he race carts. When he finishes driving full-time, he'll have other duties, whether they be in the media or in sponsored land, um, and so he'll, I would expect that he'll be employed in the sport for cradle to grave. But those opportunities are limited and um, many of the current generation of V8 drivers, or sorry, supercar drivers, would see themselves as moving into a media career, but there aren't going to be enough media jobs to go around. So it's not a, a sport that's cradle to grave like football um, it's something that people do for a period of time and then majority are probably when they stop racing they're going to be in business or something like that and um, they'll probably still follow racing but they won't be actively involved. Michael Smith is the pinnacle V8 supercars in Cam's perspective or is the pinnacle what Daniel Ricciardo's doing in Formula One. How do you build your pathway? Well, we need a pathway that will create opportunities for drivers that want to go to either. Yeah, it's it's critical that we find the next Daniel Ricciardo, uh, but equally, it's it's critical that we find the next Craig Lowndes and, and Jamie Wincup. Supercars is without question one of the strongest and most competitive motor racing championships in the world, and. It's a great championship for our young Australian drivers to aspire to, but we also need to create possibilities for young drivers that also want to be the next Daniel Ricciardo. And the sustainability of our sport, quite frankly, depends on it. I guess the other thing you need too is the next Tim Schenken, the next Stephen Chopping, the next Peter Willeman. No question about that. No question about that, Craig. And we've, we've done a lot of work. Uh, trying to find those people. Uh, and it's not easy, I have to say. I mean, finding people that are willing to volunteer their times in many, their time in many instances, uh, but also have the appropriate skills can be a challenge. But, you know, we have a full-time officials and training manager here and, and part of their brief is to ensure that we find and identify those people and provide sufficient training and opportunities for them. Kim Jones shares his views on where drivers can go after they have reached the pinnacle and they're on their way out of supercars in Australia. I know, I think there's plenty of scope to be a professional racing driver. It, it's, it's a very difficult task. It's not like uh, a tennis career or a golf career where you have a, a span of what you can do. And, and the problem, I think, with motorsport, motorsport professionals, the drive is to drive a race car as fast as you can possibly drive it, not to build for the future and put a nest egg away and do all those sorts of things. So lots of people who have been very good over the years um, haven't necessarily got to the point where their career's on a decline and they have enough capital behind them to be able to do the things they want to do um, because their focus while their careers are high is to do the very best job they can and be the fastest race car driver. So what can drivers do to give them a future in motorsport once they're finished? 
Jason Bright has already started his own business. Is that a way they can become semi-professionals in their later life? Yeah, absolutely. Bright, he's actually a really good example of that, that, that he's had a great career, it'll come to an end soon-ish, um, and he's got his business and he'll move into that. And lots of guys will do that, um, have done it, will do it. Um, you'll have uh, other drivers who might take the network that they've established and the credibility of their own brand and build a business that's motor racing related. It might be driver training or it might be um, some sort of um, uh, business that is involved in the support as a supplier to the sport. Um, You will have one or two that might become team owners. Um, You know, Jonathan Webb, a good example of. So it's like uh, life generally. It leads people down different paths. I think all of them would love to race forever and John Bowers is an example of someone who's you know racing and racing and racing and probably race till the day he's no longer with us as does Murray Carter who's about 123 I think by all measurement and he's still racing and good on him so you could you can probably race for the sake of racing as a as an amateur but in terms of a, a um, sustainability for your life for income and so on most drivers are going to have to make a decision to step into something else garth tander plans to start his own team brad jones talks about the reality of drivers moving towards team ownership i mean they earn plenty of money so they could um they could start a team without too much trouble it's it's whether or not you've got the the desire to do that i mean you know kim's and my growth is probably a little unusual but and we started racing production cars together and we didn't plan to have a touring car team um just sort of happened along the way so um it is it is difficult to to work out where it goes and who the new team owners are because you know there's plenty of drivers coming along but but i think you can do anything you want really and there's people around look at garth tander you know he's a runner an F3 team and and um, there are other people that are capable of doing these things so I think if they want to they can it depends whether you want to still be involved in the sport. Is there a plan for bringing people back down because you can only be up there say to your 40 if you're lucky 45 if you're exceptional what's the pathway back down? Yeah it's, it's a very interesting point Craig and we we often have discussions with Supercars Australia about how that can be done um, at the moment, we've got championships like the GT Championship and, and the likes of John Bow and, um, and our own Cameron McConville have raced in that. There's also the, the, the Touring Car Masters category, which has provided drivers such as Tim Richards and John Bow again with, with opportunities to race and continue their craft. Um, but still, you know, Craig Lowndes is probably closer to the finish of his career than he was to the start uh, and where does he go afterwards I'm not sure there's been a few concepts that we've thrown around with supercars and and I'm sure some of those might have been talked about in the media but yeah it's it's something that we do need to consider cricket and AFL have had a concerted effort to try and get retired players into the umpiring and into the officialdom. We see it with driving standards positions, but not so much with the brighter stewards positions where competitors can come back down that way. And perhaps that's because it's not a professional path, which we're talking about these elite drivers have been on. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, look, Tim Schenken's a case in point. Tim's obviously raced at the very highest level and and he's now 
uh, one of our most senior officials, but as the race director of the Supercar Championship. Um, but you're right. I mean, a lot of the ex-drivers tend to fill the role of driving standards observers, and that's a logical place for them to be. Um, but, you know, there's there's other examples, not necessarily in, in motor racing. I mean, uh, Matthew Sally is now one of our most senior stewards and is often steward at supercar championship level. And Matt, Matt is an ex-high-level Australian rally championship competitor. So there are examples of that occurring. Um, there's also, we've done a bit of work behind the scenes with some of our XV8 supercar drivers in grooming them for either stewards' roles or race directors' roles, and I think that is a logical place for them. Um, but also you need people with, with other skills. I mean, logic tells you that, uh, you know, a lawyer would make a good steward. So there's other there's other uh, life experience and work experience that we need to bring into our sport as well. There's plenty more coming up on Inside Supercars. I hope you'll stay with us. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as the supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and it's unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. We continue our chat on Pathways with Michael Smith from CAMS, Brad and Kim Jones, and David Siegel. What does a driver or a steward or an official need to do to succeed? Michael Smith. Uh, That's that's probably three hours we could spend talking about that. I mean, the first thing is really you've got to have the right approach to whatever role you're doing, and... Particularly on the judicial side, it's important not to jump to a conclusion too quickly, in my view. I think it's always better to sit back and, and look at the incident, take in the, uh, the evidence as you might see it, but also get the opinion of experts, whether that be a driving standard observer or indeed the competitors themselves, and then make a, make a decision based on all the facts and not try and make a decision too quickly. What about for competitors uh, trying to establish themselves and to become a professional racing driver? Because obviously there's a lot of people out there that want to get to supercars if we keep it on a local perspective, but there's 26 seats there. That's probably, uh, without being too coarse about it, there's probably only 30 to 40 professional racing driver seats available in Australia. Yeah, that's true, Craig. And, and it's a great challenge. I mean, I think we all have to be honest about it and not pretend that it's it's easy to become a professional racing car driver at any level. Sadly, in a way, professional drivers don't become professionals on talent alone. I think everyone in the industry understands that. It takes luck. It takes talent. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it takes a lot of money. And so it's it's not an easy task. Um, but we we have invested a lot in driver development. We think that it's uh, fundamental to our role as a governing body to invest in young talent. Uh, it's the reason why we introduced our own Formula 4 championship here in this country. It's the reason why we spend a lot of money each year on a driver, driver academy 
or our driver academies to try and equip aspiring young drivers with the necessary skills, which often is much more than driving skills, uh, to make it as a professional driver, whether that be in our own VH Supercar Championship here or whether that be overseas. How can a young driver scale the pyramid of motorsport and when do they know they need help from a manager to be able to go further? You're right, so your pyramid is exactly what it is. Uh, the first thing you need is the determination to succeed no matter what, but that's true of any sport. Um, you need The next thing you need is the, uh, the uh, talent, the actual raw talent, so no matter how much money you have or how determined you are, if, if you're not fundamentally, if you don't have those skills, you won't succeed. So you've got to have the determination, firstly, the skills, secondly, and then hopefully the determination will create the opportunities. And each, as each step, as you go through each step of the ladder, you need to make people aware of what you're doing. And the smart ones get involved with um, a someone who can help direct their career, who can massage, who can um, utilise the media to build the brand, etc., etc. So it's, it's a combination of factors. It all starts with you have to be so determined to succeed that that's all you want to do and fully focus on succeeding. Now, you both have sons, Mac... Brad is on his way up and Andrew has been to the top and is now Dunlop Series an endurance driver what do you think is the hardest part of what they're experiencing in their careers to what you guys had to do no, is it no, harder? Yeah, no, no we know what they've got to go through and so you try to help protect them, them yeah protect them and, and shield them from that but it, it, it's, not a, it's not an easy task you know like if you talk about the business and how much money you have to bring in each year to to make the business be able to run. Um, in a normal business, nobody would be able to do it. You would never borrow money off a bank. Nobody would would back you to be able to. But but it, don't you think it's about design? I mean, it's just as hard to find the money to give them opportunity as what it was to find money for us to have opportunity. You know, it's harder because it's more expensive now. Yeah, but it's all relative. I mean. We couldn't afford to buy a car, so we went and got it on high purchase. We never ran it at a race meeting with the number plates on it so that no one would know it was on the drip, especially the finance company. So you did what you had to do to get out there and racing. It's not that much different now, Kim. I mean, the numbers are bigger, but they're relative. So when you might have needed you know, $20,000 for something in the past, you might need fifty dollars or $100,000 now. Will there be a day when there's a career path for someone who hasn't, to the top levels, who hasn't gone through karting. I think out of all the drivers we've seen at the Gold Coast and uh, Bathurst, only Jonathan Webb is the driver who never went through karting. Here's Michael Smith. Yeah, I think that's the exception to the rule, isn't it? I mean, certainly from our point of view, karting, karting is the breeding ground for all of our stars. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure there, there will be occasions where we see drivers come through and are very successful but haven't started in karting. But I, I, I firmly believe that that will continue to be the exception to the rule. You can't, in my view, you, you just cannot miss steps in your motor racing career. And I think those that try and jump too many steps miss out on the fundamentals and, and developing their craft, learning the skills that you need to learn as 
not only on the driving side, but also the physical nature of the sport, the commercial nature of the sport. Uh, I, I just don't think that you can ever miss steps. And those that take the time to progress their, their motor racing careers and follow the pathway, invariably, I think, are the ones that are going to be the most successful. How can a young driver market himself if he's not in a position where he can he can get in, say he can get through karts, he might be able to get himself to Formula V, Formula Ford. If he wants to go further, how can he market himself? How can he put the money into his program? I guess in simplistic terms, he needs to to befriend the people at uh, magazines like um, Auto Action or Equivalents or the the websites, uh, Speed Cafe, things like that, and try and generate some exposure for his brand. The way that that people like me find out about drivers is the driver's name's mentioned. You read them in stories or you hear someone say something about them and you start to form a picture of who they are and you start to watch them. Um, So for young guys, it is literally the only way. I mean, the best way, of course, is very obvious. Win everything that you're racing in. So you do that, you're going to come to people's attention, stories are going to be written about you. But if you're not doing that, you you need to just push the media to try and get some stories to create a bit of interest. I reckon anyone knew that Jamie Winkup was going to be any good. Let me tell you something, if you win a national championship in a go-kart or you're in the top three in a national championship and you can run in those front front three positions in that class, as long as there's more than six carts in it, like you know, junior heavy, junior light, junior Rotex, if you're capable, whatever they're called now, running in that group, then you've got a bit of a chance. But if you are running 30th, then chances are you're not going to be able to do it. Unless you've got Kim's big bag of money. Yeah, and even then, you're only going to do it till you run out of the cash. Mm. What age? How, how many of these young guys that race here weren't really good go-karters? What can he do to, to get you or Kim to notice him as a potential driver I mean, for your team? Yeah, but he only needs to do two things. He needs to be very successful in everything that he races, and he needs to be able to network himself well enough he's got enough money to be involved on that side of it so he needs two ingredients one he needs a showing potential and two he needs to be able to help source the deals to get him to where he needs to be to get into a v8 supercar and it's a long and difficult tra- road i mean you know expensive and full of pitholes i think the that what you what you're asking is where is the path to v8s it's not the days of looking at somebody and going I think that kid has potential. When was it ever like that? When was it ever like that and you didn't have to support them with... with you didn't have to bring a sponsor or you didn't have to... There's a have network, a, yeah. There's the, what used to happen was there and there was a network of people that you worked through um, rather than you had contacts, rather than you had cash, but you still had to have enough money to get to a point. Yeah, so you still had to organise the race of, in our case, production cars, Oz cars, NAS cars, whatever it was... You need to go and find the money and go race in those categories. And then you had to go along to someone and beg them to give you an opportunity to drive their car at the same level as V8 or supercars are now. So for me, I don't think that's changed so much. I think I think we you know, we've been we had to go through all that pain finding money for Formula Fords, finding money for production car, finding money for everything that we did and and then, you know, I'd go off and drive for someone else on the weekend and earn some money. But it, it's difficult. And it was difficult then and it's difficult now.
More on Pathways after the break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. David Siegel, Michael Smith and Brad and Kim Jones continue this discussion on pathways in Australian motorsport. Will there be a path for someone who doesn't start at six years old, seven years old in karting? I guess you could start... uh, Age is incredibly important, I should say that. So um, the supercar teams are now looking for guys in that sort of 20 to 25 age group to stepping into the main game, so... That's your age critical. If you're going to be doing that, then you need to be in Dunlop series at sort of 18, 19, 20 to sort of make that work, which means to have been good enough to go well in the Dunlop series, you need to have been in Formula Ford. So if you work your way backwards, suddenly you're needing to be kind of 14 when you're getting into state-level Formula Ford. And that's the reality. So if you haven't done karting before then, Formula Ford is probably your starting point. There's opportunities like the Toyota 86 One Make series. As a you know a teenager, you can have a run in that. Gives you race craft. You, you know, get a little bit of attention. You might move into Carrera Cup if you can find the money. That sort of stuff. So everyone's pathway can be different, but it all converges at one point, which is somewhere between 20 and 25. You need to be stepping into a main game. Uh, supercar if you're going to make a professional career of it. Brad Jones again. I think you can, but it's a much harder road. What is the age range? You Do you think you need to be in... You know, oh, is, no, no, is no, that... It's not an age, it's, it's a not, position in the field. Yeah, it's... it's You know, you, you need to get to the front of the Dunlop field before you seriously consider an opportunity to get in the main game. So whether you... Then that doesn't matter whether you're 18 or 25. And the step from the Dunlop to the main game is a, is, is a large step. I feel it's as big a step as it was from whatever you came into to get into Dunlop because they do three races, three endurance races, but they're long races and I don't think the intensity at those three races is the same as the sprint event. Do you think there's enough opportunities in Australia for professional racing drivers or, or professional administrators and, and officials? Look, we, we punch above our weight, no question. I mean, we are a relatively small country. When you put it in the context of the United States or even Europe, we, we do punch above our weight. Um, in terms of professional drivers, I, I wish that there was more. I mean, there's 26 drivers in our supercar championship. Um, we would love, for the health of the sport in general, to be professional racing drivers and more of them in other categories, no question about that some research late last year or early last year with Ernst & Young and found that, that the motor racing or the motorsport industry in Australia is worth $2.7 billion to the Australian economy every year. And when you consider 
all of the add-on industries or, or aftermarket um, sellers of motorsport equipment or roll, roll cage manufacturers or caterers, it, it really is a very large industry. And, and whilst our motor industry in general has been in decline, I think in recent years we've seen the motorsport industry really expand. And, uh, you know, to, to have... $2.7 billion pouring into the Australian economy every year as a direct result of our sport is really something that I think the government and, and other entities need to start taking notice of. Um, well, it depends. If you're talking about kids growing up, I'd say no. If you're talking about opportunities for established guys to make a genuine living out of it, I'd say yes. And where do they go? Once, once your driver has done what he can do and you don't think, you know... You don't think there's another year in your driver? Where does he go from there? Uh, DJ Penske. <laughs> and uh, what about if it's a Boomer Harvey situation? Forty-one years old, might have one good year left in him, but you think you can find a young guy who can do better? Where does he go, other than DJ Penske? Probably to run GTR car, GT cars. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know. I really, at this at that point, I'm just focused on what's right for me and my team. Mm. Well, what about, for, what about for Andy? And the, oh, he's, he's doing a different thing. And Andy he, understands where he fits in line, doesn't he, Kim? Yeah, and always has. And, then, and he's he likes driving, so it's a good opportunity for him to still drive in the DBS. He gets to be a co-driver, and I think he's pretty happy with that position. But it, it, there's lots of... It depends at that point what how much drive the person's got. Because you can go to Asia, you can... You know, there's lots of GT stuff and... There's opportunities, but whether by that stage, if you're not burnt out, you know, like he doesn't even have a license anymore. He doesn't drive a race car. And I just, for the life of me, can't understand it because I've always been a frustrated race car driver who never had the opportunity. But obviously at the point where he stopped, he decided that that was the point where he'd had enough. And so he focuses on other things now. Hmm. It's a little more complex than that, but yeah. Sometimes we wish that he was still in the car. (laughs) How can you continue to get that word out and, more importantly, get that word out to the people who make decisions about funding grants? And obviously a lot of sports like to hang their hat on their junior participation. Yeah, correct. I mean, we've we've invested very, very heavily in junior development and grassroots motorsport, and it's no secret that we would like some more support from the government in doing that. Um, you know, we're, we've... We've released that report. We've sent it to every minister in the country, whether that be state or federal. Uh, it was talked about in the Australian Senate earlier this year. But we just need to keep selling that message. And all of the stakeholders that have involvement in motorsport need to keep selling that message as well. I mean, it's it's not only important to our culture, it's very important to our economy. And, and we really need people to start taking notice of that. After the break, we find out more about driver managers and what they provide to a driver with David Siegel. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to up, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, rest of the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. 
Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. What is the advantage for a good driver to have representation from a, from a manager and, a, and management support over him trying to do it himself? And if two examples, I guess, for names that have got good recognition, Craig Lowndes and, um, of course, James Courtney, very well known as being represented by professional companies. And then you have people like, say, Scott McLaughlin, who more recently have been going it alone. And Well, loaded question, because I manage drivers for a living. Uh, what's the advantage of being uh, of having a manager? I think it's very straightforward. You can focus on your racing and your racing alone and let the manager worry about it. And you know, right at the moment, James Courtney's uh, quoted everywhere saying, I don't know what I'm doing next year, that's up to my manager. Um, so... What management does is, is you, you, you well, go back a step, have to recognise that these guys are businesses in themselves. Every successful business has management. So to maximise your success in terms of being in the best team and having the, the, you know, a good group of personal sponsors, you need someone to manage that. Some drivers choose to do it themselves, but it's always very hard to represent yourself in a negotiation. The whole point of having a manager is to have someone in there who can negotiate on your behalf and who can, when the need be, play the good cop, bad cop game. But also what the other, man- the other thing the manager does is opens up opportunities. If they're any good, they're going to be searching for the best opportunities, be they with teams, be they with uh, sponsors. Um, that's what it's about. It's also a little bit about supporting the driver and giving them a career direction. My view of management is it's a holistic role. It's not just uh, about finding a sponsor, because that's what most people think managers are. Not just that. It's actually about making sure the driver gets the best possible opportunities with the best team. And when they're in a team, negotiating their position within that team. Scott McLaughlin model. Can you can you talk about where they might be missing out? Is it financially, or is it pressure? Is it where where is the the big difference there, or is it does it come down to the makeup of the person as well? I, well, I can't talk specifics because I don't know how well Scott negotiates, but uh, I do know fundamental of negotiation is it's extremely hard to represent yourself when you you're trying to negotiate something successfully with someone you want to work with so having a third party someone in there who's representing you it's a damn sight better and the negotiation might be longer but the outcome's almost certainly going to be better so as I say I can't talk specifically about those guys but I'd argue that that in any situation like that with a manager you'll always end up with more money out of a deal and if you do it yourself that's one and the, the contrary view, of course, is, well, a manager costs me money. And the answer is, well, no, actually a manager makes you money. Because if you're being employed as a manager, you have to deliver. If you don't deliver, you don't get employed. So that's pretty simple. We had some funny moments with Brad and Kim Jones. Here's one of them. You guys obviously had um, the advantage or disadvantage of working together for so long now and... and you know, Kim, you were able to get right behind Brad and and concentrate on that part of the career and concentrate on that part of the business too. How do you look at the situation 
now about what you were able to do to help Brad get through? Everything. <laughs> no. Do you get enough it, credit? It, it, no, never. <laughs> um, no, look, we we both we've been lucky that, and, and especially me, that you know, I, you I, had me. Yeah, that, that I had Bradley to fall back on. No, but when you have a look at what I did, I started, I used to muck around with motorbikes and all that sort of stuff and then Formula Ford and didn't have enough money and um, and, and then we found a, a way that we could both do what we wanted to do and, and and I've been, you know, I've been a racer myself a little bit and then a mechanic and, um, and, and had all that part of it and now I do commercial stuff. So I've had lots of changes in my life and, and ways to do it. But like Bradley said, it's not like... You sit down when you're 20 and go, okay, here's my plan and and, and work out where you're going to go. You just take the opportunities as they arise. And and you have a look at V8 supercars at the pinnacle level and, you know, eight or nine years ago would you said that the Stone Brothers aren't going to be part of the group, Dick Johnson's going to be owned by a multinational, um, you know, Mercedes-Benz is going to be part, Volvos are going to win races... So the landscape's changing all the time. What you need to do is have the flexibility to be able to, okay, pick the eyes out of it and make the best you can do for what you do. And and over our careers, we've been able to do that. Um, you know, Bradley went and drove for lots of other people, and until I came along, he he sort of couldn't work with anybody else. But and and I think the reason I could work with him was because I never take any notice of what he said and just did what I wanted to do anyway. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. I hope you enjoyed our Pathway special. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.